Jesus Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Last week, Pastor Matt preached eternal guarantee. And we learned that faith in God in God's grace is what guarantees us eternal salvation. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we love you and we praise you because you are the giver of all good things. Uh, Lord, we get to celebrate uh, communion this morning and uh, Lord, just get to worship you in song and word and, and Lord, come together as a fellowship of believers, uh, those that have been saved by you to celebrate who you are this morning. So Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a picture of my backyard. I'm just kidding. I wish I had that in my backyard. It is once said that camping is people spending a bunch of money to live like they're homeless for a couple of days. There is this thing, however, because camping has come a long way, something called glamping. Okay? What this is, is it's a, it's a picture of a of, of a glamorous camping, taking a temporary dwelling place and making it extravagant or as glamorous as possible. So here we have the next one. It's, it looks like kind of like a desert region. That's pretty cool. Look at this one. This one is actually in the city. I mean, that is cool. I don't know where that is, but I mean, that would be really neat at the top of a skyscraper, you know, to camp out there. However, I will say this. I'm not quite sure where that's taken from, but it looks like a big city, maybe from the north. I don't think you're out there January, February. Amen? Here's the point, because no matter how glamorous it is and, and, and how glorious it is, it's a temporary dwelling. I don't know too many people that would want to even stay in that tent for too long. There was a few months ago we went uh, camping in Wyoming, and it was a great time, but I was so happy to get uh, myself back on a real bed after a couple days of camping. Well, today the writer of Hebrews explains the tabernacle and all of its sacrificial systems, how it can only be a temporary thing to commune with God. In many ways, it foreshadowed the ministry and work of Christ, but it was never meant to be permanent, much like that. See, while the tabernacle and the sacrificial system was described by God to men, it was still run by men, and it was in a temporary place. So this issue is twofold. First, the tent would eventually break down, and it would no longer exist. Even afterwards, where they finally built the glorious temple, that was even destroyed. Secondly, it was run by men who are fallible and almost not dependent on the men for, the, for righteousness, but the men to carry out the work of the tabernacle. We needed a more permanent solution, dependent on a perfect, infallible man, a perfect priest, seated in the place of perfection. And that's why this morning the title of today's sermon is Seated in the place of perfection. You see, today, church, we have the perfect high priest, but he's not just the perfect high priest for no reason. He's also the perfect high priest seated in the place of perfection. Jesus, the perfect high priest, actually is seated 
in the throne room of heaven next to God the Father himself. Let's get into our verses this morning. We're going to be in Hebrews 8, uh, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read them. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, they're up on the screen. Verse 1. Now, the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve as a copy, a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Now, if we were to take these five verses and boil them down into one main idea, and probably the last couple of chapters into one main idea, we would get this. No religion or religious man could ever accomplish what Jesus did for mankind. No religion or religious man, no matter how closely they were trying to follow the law, could ever accomplish what Jesus did for mankind, even though mankind was obeying the law to the best of their ability, and they were doing everything God asked them. It was only a temporary arrangement until Jesus could come and fulfill the law. So let's break these verses down to see why this main idea is true. Going back to verses 1 and 2. The place where Jesus dwells right now is quite an upgrade from anywhere else possible. It says, now the point in which we're saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. See, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in the throne room of heaven, but here's what's really cool. This is what we have in him. We have a high priest that's like no other. We have to touch on that again before we move on. No mere man could truly appease God through the sacrifices and offerings that were, that were not permanently atoning for sin. No works done by fallible man could be absolutely permanent. It would take the perfect lamb of sacrifice, the perfect example of a sinless human life. Think about that. Jesus was sinless. And also, it had to be done by someone that could ascend into heaven. His ministry, as, as Jesus said many times throughout the gospel, is not an earthly kingdom. It is a heavenly kingdom. So where Jesus is right now, he resides, that perfect priest, he now resides at the right hand of the Father in the throne room of heaven. If you think about it and how the tabernacle was, was designed, how the priest would go into the holiest of holies, he is now in the holiest of holies in the presence of the Father God Almighty. We see that this sanctuary, not set up by man, is, is basically heaven. See, the old sanctuary the writer was, re was referring to was merely temporary. 
where the high priest would come in and he would present the gifts. And God did dwell there for a time. God, God did dwell in the holiest of holies. This, this sanctuary speaks of heaven where God dwells right now. See, it can be confusing sometimes because there is different descriptions of heaven throughout Scripture and in different locations at different times. Just know this right now. Heaven right now, where God is, is somewhere outside space, time, and matter. That's easy for us to wrap our minds around, right? So, so think about this. If this was a timeline, you have when God created and when Jesus would set up the new heaven and the new earth, we're somewhere along this timeline moving along. Amen? God dwells outside that. He, he is not in space, time, and matter. He created space, time, and matter, and now he dwells outside that. But however, it seems like a very far off place outside space, time, and matter, but not to God. God can go and come as he pleases. Not only that, but everything is before God. Everything we do, everything that happens here on earth or in our existence is all laid out before God all at once, which is pretty cool if you think about that he's really not that far away from us. He can hear us. He can see everything that goes on, and we can have a relationship through the fa- uh, fr- with the Father through the Son, only because his perfect work in the perfect place. And this brings us to our first point. Our perfect high priest is seated in the most powerful position, upholding all things through himself. Okay, it's our perfect high priest. He's being, he's seated in the most powerful position in the throne room of heaven, but he's, he is ministering while he's there. We've heard many times that Jesus is our ultimate priest, but it's because he is perfection. It's because he has ultimate power, and it's because he is seated next to God the Father himself. And also, this is why Jesus is the superior high priest to any human being possible. Look at verses three and four. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. So think of it this way. Jesus, the ultimate high priest, is also the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate gift. How is he the ultimate sacrifice? Well, Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice for the atonement of sin. This could not be accomplished by just anyone, but it had to be accomplished by Jesus because he was God. But not just because Jesus was fully God that he could accomplish this. It was also because Jesus was fully human. That is very important this morning because the only way that he could be my substitute as a human is if he was fully human. That's the only way he could really take our place. So he lived a perfect, sinless life as a human so that he could ultimately pay our debt. The ultimate gift giver, speaking of gift giving, 
It's Jesus's works. So in the old system, a sweet incense was burned in the inner room to please God, and it was offered as a gift so that our works would be acceptable. Now, before God the Father himself, it is Jesus's works that are accepted in our place so that our lives would be acceptable to God the Father. So unlike mankind, Jesus's works, his perfect works, having never sinned, is how he takes our substitute. Listen, church, we can only be accepted by the Father through the blood and the works of Jesus. There is no other way. Brings us to our second point this morning. As the ultimate high priest, Jesus offers the ultimate gift and sacrifice for us, namely himself. This is the kind of God that we have. He is the ultimate high priest. He is the ultimate gift and the ultimate sacrifice merely for us. Jesus' works are permanent. They're done in a place built by him where he dwells with the Father. Remember, this was, this was written to Jews who came out of Judaism into Christianity. So they're still struggling with the old system. They're still struggling with maybe we, we should... We should turn back and we should try to, you know, do these works like, you know, like, you know, the, the sacrificial system. What about all that? So we're, we want to turn back. Church, that would be like if you lived in a huge mansion and then pitched a tent to stay in the backyard. That's what turning back to the old system would be like. You have, it doesn't matter how glorious you made that tent, you have a mansion. Why in the world would you do that? Why would we settle for such a downgrade? But let me tell you, church, it wasn't just the, the, the Jewish believers that were struggling with this. Do you realize that we do this? We do this when we replace the person and the works of Jesus with our religious devotion. We're turning back to a system that, that is no longer functional. We're giving up this, the riches of heaven to show our works and how good we are. And this reminds us of our main idea this morning. No religion or religious man could ever accomplish what Jesus did for mankind. It is literally impossible. But there's also one last reason no human or religious effort could compare to Jesus as we look at verse five. You know why? Because they serve a copy, a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according, according to the pattern that was shown to you on top of the mountain. So everything about the high priest and the tabernacle was framed by the law and by the pattern that God gave Moses himself. So it was very important, and not to take away from that, but it was a temporary shadow of the person who would come. One commentator put it like this. He says, Jesus is the substance and end of the law for righteousness. Let me explain that for a second. Jesus is the substance and end of the law for righteousness. The law is still important. 
don't get it twisted. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. But now what the law is useful for is us understanding our sinful nature, that we are sinners. It's a mirror that we can look in and go, yep, I need Jesus. You ever told a lie? You ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Do you ever look at the opposite, um, the opposite sex with lust because you've committed adultery in your heart? Have you ever hated someone because you've murdered? The law is still important. It's still useful, but we don't strive to, to fulfill the law for righteousness. What we can do is we see that we are sinners in need of a Savior, The old system foreshadowed the ministry of Jesus. Jesus being the ultimate high priest, ministers in the ultimate tabernacle. Jesus going behind the veil, ascending into heaven to the holiest of holies. Why? To make intercessions and prayers for us as our high priest. Think about that right now. He is there to present our prayers and plead our cause to the Father. Outside space, matter, and time, being able to see everything before us, Jesus makes intercessions for us in the throne room of heaven. If Jesus did not resurrect, he could not become the ultimate high priest in the ultimate tabernacle. If he was not who he was, and if he did not do the things that he did, we would still be in our sins today. We would still have to constantly make sacrifices and give gifts that atone for our sins. Jesus is the perfect completion to what was foreshadowed by the sacrificial system and the law. He is the perfect completion of that this morning as we look at this. And it brings us to our third point. All other priests ministered ministered according to the law, but Jesus actually fulfilled it. Every priest in the old system ministered according to that law, but Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus actually fulfilled the law by becoming the once and for all sacrifice for those that would place their trust and, work and, and faith in his works. Now, we're going we're gonna to tie this up a little bit earlier today. I'm going to call Joe up because we're going to get to communion next, which is going to be great. So as I go over these these. These points, I want us to think about this. I want us to think who Jesus is. I want us to think about what he accomplished, but I want us to really dwell on the part of what is he doing right now? What is he accomplishing for us right now in heaven? We remember our first point. Our perfect high priest is seated in the most powerful position, upholding all things through himself. We have a perfect high priest making intercessions for us, praying for us, and reminding the Father that we are His. Church, this morning, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation, you are His. How awesome is that? Be reminded of that today, that you are His. What does that mean? That means He knows exactly what you're dealing with today. He knows exactly what you'll be dealing with tomorrow. Here's what what is really, really amazing. He knows the deepest, darkest secrets of your heart, and he still loves you. 
He knows all of the struggles that you are going through right now in life. And I, I love the way that Mike put it this morning. He's not promising to keep us from those struggles. He's promising to walk with us through those struggles. Remember to go to him often and ask him for what you need. That is, that is what he's about. He is at the right hand of the Father. He's making intercessions for us, and he loves you dearly. Reminded of, reminded of our second point. As the ultimate high priest, Jesus offers the ultimate gift and sacrifice for us, namely himself. So what this means is we don't have to hope or wonder if he hears us or if he's willing to help us. Because church, he proved that on the cross, amen? Jesus lived the perfect life and he died a sinner's death on the cross for us. And then he rose again, defeating sin and death. He did that for us so that we may be able to commune with the Father and then eventually spend eternity in heaven with him. We can put our full faith and trust in Jesus and his work. Listen, we don't have to wonder if we're enough because let me ruin that for you right now. You're not. I'm not enough. It was funny. This reminded me of a, a, a time I was teaching the youth kids. I taught uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers uh, for about 16 years. And the lesson was more about, it ended up being more about finding your purpose in life through, through Christ is, is what's going to really fulfill you in the end. Uh, and I started off the lesson by saying this. You know what? Students, your parents and your teachers tell you all the time, you are amazing and you could do anything you want in this world. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can't. You know how that went over, right? <laughs> and then, of course, I encourage them to find their, their gifts and their purpose in life through Christ. But I'm here to tell you, listen, church, we don't have to sit here and wonder, am I good enough for Jesus? Am I good enough? Because we're not. But you know what? Jesus is. Jesus is more than enough, and he gave himself up for us. That is the good news, amen? While other so-called priests made atonements and presented these gifts to temporarily appease God, Jesus gave himself the perfect gift, the perfect sacrifice. Jesus went all in for us. So in return, should we not live our lives to glorify him? Remember this third and final point. All other priests ministered according to the law, but Jesus actually fulfilled the law. This last thing that we need to be encouraged with this morning is the fact that the act of our salvation is final. It's done. He stepped in, he paid our penalty for sin, and that is what makes him the perfect high priest, something that no one else could accomplish. He didn't just follow the law, he fulfilled the law. We no longer have to strive and toil to fulfill the law. What we do is we follow Christ. Brothers and sisters, don't beat yourself up about following man-made rituals and laws. And certainly don't beat up others. 
Now, it's good as Christians to check ourselves and to make sure that we're not living in sin. And, and you know, we're going to talk a little bit about that as we get into communion. It's going to be cool. But what we need to do is remember that Jesus is there. He hears our prayers. He hears when we repent and we, and we cry out to him for forgiveness and for healing. And we allow that constant, that constant washing of the Holy Spirit. That is our life as a Christian. It's not toiling to follow a bunch of rules in a rule book, but it's following Christ and allowing our relationship with him to, to make us holy. It's all about Jesus, not about us. This reminds us of our main idea. No religion or religious man could ever accomplish what Jesus did for mankind. It is absolutely impossible. And Jesus accomplished that not only on the cross, but he's continuing to do so in the throne room of heaven now. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you that Jesus is our high priest. Praise you that he went to the cross and paid for our sin once and for all. All we must do now is follow him, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us and to cleanse us daily of our sin. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, what's cool as we're getting ready to, to take part in communion, I will ask our guys to come down and hand out the elements. Now, when you receive your elements, you will get a gluten-free cracker and a cup of juice. I want you to hold on to them, and I'll prompt you when to take them. If you are a believer in Christ, that means you professed your faith in Christ, you are welcome to take part in communion this morning with us. But it's also important here at Village Grace, I want to explain that we believe in a threefold communion. It mirrors the threefold ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in our lives. These three aspects are the past, that's when we are saved. And it's a picture of his ministry in heaven now, which is cool because that's what we just learned about. But it also is a good picture of his future ministry to us in heaven as we are all together. So this first part, the Eucharist, which is giving thanks for the bread and the cup, is a symbol of Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. It's our salvation. And as we take the bread and we take the cup, we remember his death for our sins and that we have confessed our sin and we've been forgiven. We get this from uh, verse, 1 John 1, 9, and it says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the second part we teach is the foot washing. Now, this was a very important thing that Jesus did to symbolize the washing, the constant washing of the Holy Spirit. This action symbolizes the current opportunity that God's children have to ask for forgiveness of sins. It's our chance to ask him for forgiveness, to restore our fellowship with God the Father. And church, this is an ongoing process that should happen routinely in a Christian's life. Now, in a minute, before we take the elements, I'm going to ask for a, just like a minute or two that I want to give you guys and myself an opportunity to just quietly pray in your seat. 
And just to ask God to search your heart of any unconfessed sin that you have and just confess it to God. There quietly, in the quietness of your heart, confess your sin to God and, and be forgiven before you take the cup and the bread. And we get this through John 13, 12 through 17. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you not understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's that constant cleansing of the Holy Spirit that the repentance and, and, and confession of sin is what cleanses us as Christians. But third, and finally, what we're about to take part in, in there, which is, is gonna be awesome and Pastor Jared's ready to eat, is the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the, it symbolizes our Jesus' future ministry to us in heaven. It's our anticipation for the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it's the feasting that we'll enjoy in, in Christ's kingdom that's to come. And we get this from Revelation 19, 5 through 9. Now, church, I just want you to just picture this, of how this is going to be in heaven, because this is going to be incredible. Verse 5, and from the throne came a, a voice saying, praise God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. When I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous, de righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. That is our future, church. How amazing that day is going to be. As we get ready to take communion, and before I read these final verses in 1 Corinthians, I want us to just take a moment, and I want us to just quietly bow our heads in our own seats, and I want us to just ask the Lord, is there anything that we need to confess before we come to the table? So let's do that right now.
we just thank God. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood that was spilled for our sins and your body that was broken so that we can know you. For verse 23 in 1 Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup. You're not supposed to talk with your mouthful. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. We're so glad that you joined us this morning. And again, we hope that you stay because we have a feast ready. And it'll be neat just to, after reading those scriptures, thinking about how we're gonna all do this in heaven together one day. But before we, before we run off, let me pray really quick for the meal and then we'll be dismissed. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, we just ask that you bless this food in this time as we come together, Lord, thinking about how awesome it will be to be your children in heaven one day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com. Dot com.